A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello there and welcome to another Arseblog Arsecast, right here on arseblog.oleole.com. Another one. This is number 142. That's a lot of Arsecasts. It's been a little while, hasn't it, since the last one? Because we had that round table one, but the one uh, before that was the week before last. Because there was no Arsecast last week, because I, I was away on my holidays, you know, in Barcelona. Very nice it was, too. We had a lovely time walking for miles and miles and miles. We really did. Honestly, I swear to God, we walked for miles. Uh, but, you know, between um, all that walking, there was a lot of eating and drinking, refueling, you might say, and a lot of sleeping in in the mornings, which is good. So I could have done it a few more days, but, you know, take what you can get at this stage of the year, don't you? Uh, I did, as I promised, go to Joan Laporta's house. Said I was going to do it, and I did. Straight up there with my axe, I was, knocked on the door. And he said, oh, it's you. I've been expecting you. You better come in. So we went in, we sat down in the sitting room, he sat there, hands behind his head, and I said, look, Juan, if you wouldn't mind closing that robe, we could get on to the matter at hand, because, you know, to me, not really very tempting in any way. So we, I said, look, how about you guys stop talking about Cesc Fabregas and his Barcelona DNA and how much you want to sign him and all that? And he said, well, so we sat there for a while, we... uh Shot the breeze, bit of old negotiating, and eventually struck a deal. At which point Barcelona would never talk about Cesc again. And so delighted was I. I said, look, I, you know, I have to say I thought this was going to be a bit more difficult. How about this free Abue? <clears throat> uh, deal's off. So expect a lot more uh, stories about Cesc's Barcelona DNA. Uh, also, before uh, I do anything, um, big thank you to Gunnar Holick. Uh, for filling in on the blog. Uh, it's always interesting to read Ars blog as a reader as opposed to, you know, the writer. I don't tend to read it much once I've written it, because I've already read it. But when you're away and when Tom is doing it or when the Holic is doing it, it's, it's interesting to get up and in the morning and refresh. Is it there? Is it there? Oh, it's there. I'm going to read it. I've, re I've read it. Now what? But no, I enjoy it. And thank you very much uh, to Gunnar Holic for keeping things going. And, uh, and uh, that's about it. So on this week's Arsecast, what's to come? Well, in a couple of moments, I'll be talking to Kevin Witcher, the editor of The Online Gooner. Sylvester is here. We'll be talking to a literary agent about Theo Walcott's book deal. Tony Adams is along. And I'll be giving you the winner of the Savile Rogue scarf from the Arsecast two weeks ago and giving you a chance to win another Savile Rogue scarf uh, on this week's Arsecast. So since the last one, or since the last time we kind of talked, what's happened? Well, there was the Man City game. Don't need to talk about that anymore, do we? <clears throat> Certainly do not. There was a Stoke game last weekend, um, which I couldn't get anywhere. I was looking at the Spanish newspapers uh, to see if it was on Canal Plus or one of those uh, channels, but it wasn't, and uh, I had to rely on text updates, so thank you very much uh, to Tone for that. Um, text update is not really the best way to keep up with a game of football. Nevertheless, it's better than nothing. Um, so I can't really comment on the performance because I didn't even see Match of the Day. I had her Sky Plus, but I just haven't bothered watching it since. 
Um, 2-0. Andre Arshav and Aaron Ramsey with the goals. Yeah, just what we needed. And in midweek, uh, the game against Olympiacos was... Uh, well, it was interesting from the point of view that it was a very, very young team who went out there and acquitted themselves quite well, I thought. Um, so apart from that, there hasn't been a great deal going on in terms of uh, on-pitch action. And the worrying thing, I suppose, is all the injuries that we have. And, you know, we've got no Abue now or we've got no Bentner till a new year. And, and we just seem to have an awful lot of injuries after every game. And we'll get more injury news out of the game uh, against Liverpool a bit later in the program. But, it, you know, you have to worry. I said it on the blog. Do we just have a collection of really, really, really injury-prone players? Because you know about Arsene Wenger and his training methods and the, the diets and the scientific stretching and the ergonomic shoe-wearing and all these kind of things, things that he brought to football that nobody else had ever done. Before that, players just did what they wanted. The 1971 team won the league in the double with about 14 players or 15 players in total. And they used to just go out after the game and get completely bollocksed and eat pies and fish and chips and smoke fags and they played the whole season. So this scientific approach, you know, you have to think that if we've got all that uh, equipment and medical knowledge and science and all that kind of stuff, that... You know, there's no real issue with that, that that can't be the problem. The problem must be that we've got players who are made of balsa wood. So how do you fix that? You you go out and buy players that are made of harder stuff, like tungsten and diamond. We should have a diamond-coated first 11. That would be completely awesome. I suspect it would probably, probably, impact on the maneuverability and, and possibly the pace of the players but we could be assured that if you know for example one of them went up and for example accidentally got a sly elbow off one of our players who was just you know just jumping for the header ref that you know after a while they may not have all their players on the pitch and we could then take advantage despite being slower and less nimble than we used to be just throwing it out there. Probably not the best solution, but I don't know. In desperate times, you search for desperate measures. This is very true. All right, as I said, still to come, um, Sylvester and Theo and Savile Rogue scarves and all that kind of stuff. But now to talk um, stuff in general uh, about the team and, uh, and and where we are. And midweek games, and looking ahead to the Liverpool game, is uh, Kevin Witcher, who is the editor of the Online Gooner. Hi there. Hi there. Um, we'll start with the, the performance uh, in midweek against Olympiacos. Um, considering the team we put out, I, I think it was it was reasonably positive. Um, we had chances to not just draw the game, but go and win the game. Maybe let down a little by the, the strikers, which we'll come to in a minute. But for, for a young team, it was a good showing. You've got to remember, this was the youngest ever team fielded in the competition. Um, I mean, <laughs> it was almost a youth team. Okay, mm. there were there were a few sort of bigger names to sort of steady the ship but uh, all things considered I think they actually did the club proud um, in terms of their performance uh, yes they lost but I mean it was a meaningless game the, the only real frustration for me was there's probably about uh, 750,000 euros you get for three points in these games and we probably could have used that money but I'm not going to uh, worry too much about that as Arsene Wenger obviously didn't and um 
I was, uh, I mean, I was delighted with the performance. Okay, you know, they didn't put the ball in the net, but they certainly weren't embarrassed. Uh, we were not humiliated in any way, shape or form. Um, played much better than we did against Manchester City with a fairly similar lineup. And, um, you know, I have no complaints at all about uh, the events of that uh, evening. Um, unless I'm going to be particularly picky, which I'm not. All right, but fair enough. I don't think most people are, um, you know, considering the the type of game that it was. Theo Walcott, um, I think he's only played two games or three games uh, in total in terms of minutes um, this season. Is it too early to be worried about him? Uh, yeah, I mean, even when Theo was fit, I I'm not convinced that he has a football brain. Um, I mean, there are two camps with Theo. I mean, I think the one thing that everyone agrees on is we all desperately want him to make it, you know, because he's an English boy and, and Arsenal are an English team. And, you know, the crowd always get behind the English players because nowadays, you know, they're a rare commodity and they do like that. And uh, that's not xenophobia. That's just a kind of natural uh, identification. Um, but... All I think the boy has got is pace, I'm afraid. He's he's always running into other defenders or or playing a bad pass. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm only worried in that Wenger will keep picking him um, because I just don't think he's the real deal and I think we could do better. And if we can get £15 million from him for somebody, then fantastic. But I... I just can't see Arsenal moving forward if Theo is going to be a regular pick. I think at best he's an impact sub, but even then on occasion he's he's, he's a bit careless with the possession. So, um, you know, in, in the two camps you either believe or you don't, I'm afraid. I'm a non-believer when it comes to Theo. Do, do you think, um, I mean, he has played a lot of his football out wide. Do you think we might see more of him or he might develop better as as somebody who can play on the shoulder of the last defender and, and use that pace to get in behind without having to, because he clearly, at this point, doesn't have the tricks or the the, the, uh, the ability to go past defenders on a, on a regular basis. He's played centre-forward very, very rarely, and uh, I do think it's worth a look at him in that position. Um, but then again, you know, it's... it's uh, in the current formation, you need someone who's who does have a football brain to play as a lone centre forward. If it was a four-four-two, Theo might be better suited to it. But uh, the one thing I think about Theo is if he doesn't have to think, if he just is operating on pure instinct, then he is a better player. It's it's when he he's faced with a decision he seems to have problems. Um, you know it's. You know, again, like Vela, I'm, I'm not going to give up on him totally, but uh, I don't have a lot of faith. But it's definitely worth a look at him in a different position before you say adios. All right. Okay. Well, the uh, current form at the club is not great. From uh, in our, our last six games, I think we've we've lost four uh, in all competitions and won a couple. After the the Chelsea game, um, you, you wrote an editorial on the on the website on the online Gooner which said Project Wenger is over. Um, and you said that the team doesn't have a, um, I think it was a hang on, a snowball's chance in hell or a cat's chance in hell. I'm not sure the difference between a cat and a snowball in hell. But anyway, uh, that, that, that we were good enough to, to win this title. And then you went on to speak maybe about the, um, you know, there, there being money to spend at the, at the club. But question whether or not Arsene Wenger is, is the right man to spend it. Um, 
I think after the Chelsea game, there was a lot of disappointment and, and maybe there's um, an element of that in, in the way we, rea- uh, we react and the way you know we write things at the time. Is that something you, you stand back now? Is that something you really believe that, that Wenger's project is over and that it has to either dramatically change either by him changing or, or, or the alternative, of course, is to bring someone else in? Well, I mean, I think that uh, the one thing about uh, Arsenal is that he's earned the chance to spend some money because what's happened up to now since the new stadium sort of was was being built is is that he's not actually had excess money to spend in the transfer market other than that he's actually made by selling players. And um, that situation has changed now because the property, the Highbury Square thing seems to resolve itself. And there's every sign that in January he will be free to spend the Manchester City money. So I think he should now be given the opportunity to strengthen his hand both in January and in the summer and then see how his contract because I do think he's earned that much and I do think he has been operating under particularly unique circumstances which frankly he's, he has pulled a, a you know rabbit out of the hat to have kept us in, in Europe every season. Um, so you know, my concern after the Chelsea game was that we'd gone down this road whereby the defensive side of the game had pretty much been sacrificed. The idea being we'd just simply outscore teams. Now, that's not going to happen every time in football, so you've got to have a, a backup. You know, you've got to have some solidity. And I think what Chelsea exposed was that we created very, very little against a quality defence and didn't even have the wherewithal to get a draw if we were going to score no goals. And it was a pretty salient lesson. It was it was a huge mismatch. And you don't expect that from an Arsenal game at home to anybody. You know, something's got to change because I can't see any difference the next time we play the likes of Chelsea or Manchester United. Um, you know, even, even at United, you know, we did outplay them. But we lost the game. And, and ultimately, football is about results. So Wenger's now you know, in the position where he can use a bit of money. And I hope he's not stubborn. I, I hope he's, he's... I mean, I'd love him to sign you know, three players in January, one of them which is, is David Villa, but also a you know, goalkeeper and a, a big centre-back. Uh, it's... <laughs> It's been very difficult for the manager up to now. He's tried to do it in a particular way, but in a sense, he's gone too far down the road of the beautiful game. You know, he is trying to recreate Brazil's 1970. That worked because it was an alt- at altitude and people just couldn't keep up with the, the passing. You know, on the wet Wednesday in, in Burnley next week, it could be an entirely different story. Do you think he's... Um kind of caught in the middle a bit in the sense that he has put so much uh, faith and stock in young players that it gets to a point where, you know, we forget that some of them are still really, really quite young and players that don't necessarily uh, get the uh, 
get the fans plaudits um, uh, for good reasons uh, in many cases. I mean, you look at someone like Danielson, who is still only 21 or 22, but, you know, a guy, uh, very often a player doesn't really develop until he's 23, 24, maybe even a little bit later. So uh, do you think he's sort of stuck in a position where he's going, well, look, I've put X amount of time into somebody like Diaby? for example, who's now getting to 23, 24 years of age. And he's at that point where he's going, well, I could let him go or I could try and replace him. But there's every chance that, you know, he could kick on and get the best years of his career at a different club. It is a dilemma, unquestionably. I mean, I think the the, the criticism you can level at the manager is that the blend isn't right. So, yes, by all means, try and develop some of these um, younger players. But... Given the wages they're being paid, he could, as an alternative, have got um, some more experience in and paid them uh, the same kind of wages and not tried to just go so much with with a young team. In in a sense, I think what's happened is he's been given them the opportunity to indulge himself because what he really loves to do is develop players. And he did it very, very successfully picking up slightly older players in his earlier years. So, for example, you had someone like Henri, who definitely developed as a player under Wenger, but even when he'd arrived, he'd been in a World Cup winning squad. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a novice. And in a sense, what Wenger's had to do, partly for financial reasons, the last three or four years, is go even younger. Because in the transfer market, you know, once a player of Thierry Henri's quality is now available um, Arsenal just can't afford them and I'm talking about the Thierry Henry that moved from Juventus sure. because he was £9 million whatever it was um, Arsenal up to now have really only been able to afford those sort of players because they've sold others you know they haven't been able to build the squad with finance above and beyond the bottom line so I would say that I'm not going to not individual players and I understand completely that some of them are still maturing as footballers but the way the manager has handled what I would call project Wenger um, uh, lacks balance you know it's it's too much emphasis on a youth and b attack quality sleep is essential that's why the sleep number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
and you don't. I mean, you know, there's there's this thing about Manchester United. Alan Hansen said you'll win nothing with kids. In I think it was '95. That team was for one game at Aston Villa away. They had all their experienced players back by about uh, September, and they went on to win the league. But people always remember that particular quote. It wasn't true. You, you know, Manchester United had some young players there who drifted in and out of the first team, but the core of the first team was a very experienced team. So this this concept, even when Ajax won the Champions League in I think '94 or '95 against Milan, you know people go back to that team and say, look at all those great players, you know these these young teenagers. There was about five or six very experienced late twenties, early thirties players yeah. alongside them, and what Arsenal have lacked is enough of that experience and defensive side of the game to actually win things. The irony being, for all Wenger's beautiful football in 2005, the last time we won a trophy, if you remember the final, <laughs> Arsenal did not win the final by playing attacking football. Mm. You know, they, they bored the pants off the world, but they won on a penalty shootout and we were all highly delighted. Mm. And in a way, could we win that game again, you know, with today's team? I don't Not think sure. so. So, you know, the balance is wrong and ultimately... You know, the manager's indulged himself a bit with the project and it hasn't worked. So um, for for um, Project Wenger has to go to plan B or plan C, you know, you, you want to see him spend money bringing in experience um, in in January. And I think I said in my blog, it doesn't necessarily, he talks about world-class players. They don't necessarily have to be world-class players. They just have to be good players that can come in and do a job and, and add something, like you say, to the blend of the team. Absolutely right. You know, you don't you don't have to splash the cash in a, a wanton fashion. But, you know, he's got this huge scouting system. You know, you can't tell me they can't pick up quality for a good price. All right. Well, let's look ahead very quickly to the game at the weekend. And obviously, it's a, it's always a big fixture. Going into this, Liverpool aren't in good form at all. Um, haven't been in good form all season. Uh, nevertheless... Our form isn't great going into it, and in the big games this season, um, like we've been talking about, we've been found wanting against Man City, uh, away against uh, Manchester United, away Chelsea at home, and now we're going away to Anfield, um, and they're a team that I suppose are going to be a bit stung, aren't they? They've gone out of the Champions League, they lost their last Champions League game, they're going to want to um, put in a performance and, and get a reaction at home against us. How do you see it going? I mean, at this point, we don't have any any team news who's in or out, um, but it's it's a big game and, and certainly one we can't afford to lose. Yes, I agree. We've we've already had uh, four defeats in the league. Um, another one would be very bad news indeed. Um, Liverpool away is a tough game for Arsenal every time. Uh, I mean, I suppose their their lack of form is encouraging. Um, I'm not sure who's injured and who isn't up there, but if Torres isn't playing, then we've got half a chance. But uh, they, they sometimes forms don't actually matter too much in these type of games. And it's, you know, it becomes an irrelevance and it's just who performs. Uh, um, I mean, we'd all love our ship to score four more goals, but uh, are we going to defend uh, as badly as we did that night? Um, I mean, I, I think the problem is we are playing effectively without uh, recognised centre-forward um, of the type we need for this formation. And whether or not 
the performance against Stoke is a reflection that, hey, Arshavin can play on, on his own up front or Stoke are just very poor. I suspect we will find out at the weekend. And um, I'm willing to, to, to wait and see. I'm not going to condemn it. It's possible Arshavin could do a job there. You never know. He's definitely an example of an intelligent footballer. Um, but it's the sort of game you, you wouldn't put money on if you were a punter because you just can't say which way it'll go. All right, um, I have to agree with you there. Uh, we better leave it there, though. Thanks uh, very much, Kevin Witcher, editor of The Online Gooner. You're welcome. The Online Gooner can be found at www.onlinegooner.com. Go visit, and thanks very much to Kevin. Uh, still to come, we'll be talking to Theo Walcott's literary agent. Yes, he's got one. He has to have one. I'll explain why in a bit, uh, as well as your uh, chance to win a Savile Rogue scarf and the announcement of the winner of the previous Savile Rogue scarf. Right now, though, Sylvester. Hello, everyone. It's me again, Sylvester! What a week I've had! I was captain of the team again for the Champions League game, of course. Lots of people point out the big difference in age between me and those of players, like I'm some kind of funny uncle, but I think nothing of it. Shame about the game, we could have won it. Little Carlos, oh, he's so cute. He didn't score the goal when he had the chance, but it was a great experience for everyone. And how can you complain when you get an away trip in Europe? Especially to Athens. <laughs> you know me. I like a bit of Greek. Oh, baby! More Sylvester on another Arscast in the very near future. Now, there was a lot of talk after the Olympiacos game about our, our two forwards on the night who didn't necessarily acquit themselves as well as, as the rest of the team. Um, Theo Walcott, we've already spoken about with Kevin. You have to remember, he's hardly played this season. And while Kevin has his doubts, and I think those doubts are shared by some people, I think we've got to give him a run of games and players develop at different paces. And maybe we expect too much in terms of Fabregas-esque development. Um, that's not to say I don't have concerns about Theo. And as well, Carlos Vela, I don't know. I think outside the Carling Cup, he just doesn't do it for some reason. He hasn't done it in the league, really. I think he's got one league goal but has never really made an impact. And he's here 18 months, and maybe he's only just beginning uh, to break into the team on a more regular basis. But I, I was worried a bit about him, I have to say. I thought those two chances that he had against Olympiacos, I, I would have scored at least one of those. And, you know, I'm not saying I'm a professional footballer by any means. But, you know, one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper inside the penalty area, I think I could score that. Even if it was on my wrong foot. Uh, you know, I could have scored that. And the second one, it sat up beautifully for him on his left foot. So it was a little bit worrying. But, however, he has been given a new long-term deal at the club. It was just announced yesterday. Arsene Wenger obviously has got great faith in him. He sees him at 20 years of age as somebody who can go on and score a lot of goals for Arsenal. The problem is, my way of thinking, is that, you know, we, we kind of need him to score some goals now. Now would be a good time to start scoring goals. Because we've got the news that Bentner is not going to be seen again until uh, next year. Now, I know that sounds ages away, but of course it's only a few weeks. But um, that's a disappointment. I was hoping he'd be back sooner than that. Van Percy, we know, is out for the long term. Eduardo, in and out, injured. So we need Vela to start stepping up and scoring goals. Maybe it was a bit like championship manager. who was feeling all glum and missing his Mexican beaches and 
sombreros and things. And Arsene said, well, how can I get him to improve his mood, his morale? How do I do it? Do I sign another Mexican? No, not doing that. All right, I'll give him a new contract. And he looks quite smiley, I have to say, on the official website. So hopefully that will spur him into action and uh, he'll score some goals. Because, let's face it, it's about time. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Theo Walcott, um, as I said, we've spoken about him, but... What's interesting, uh, news yesterday that he signed a deal with Random House Publishers to write some children's books, which I think is a bit odd. To be honest, I know footballers have got a, a lot of spare time, and maybe they could spend their spare time in much worse ways, you know. Like the old roasting and gang raping and drinking and crashing cars and telling people you're actually coal. You know, those are worse ways to spend your spare time than sitting at home and tippy-tapping away and, and writing a book. So maybe he should be commended. You can't get the, you kind of get the feeling, though, that maybe he should just be concentrating on his football. Nevertheless, it's an interesting thing. So um, here in studio to discuss with me this new departure for Theo is a Random House children's books editor Felicity Quimmington. Um, you must be delighted to have someone like uh, Theo, someone of his stature on board. Yes, well, we at Random House are very pleased to welcome Theo Walcott to our stable of authors. He's up there, as far as we're concerned, with the likes of John Grisham, Dan Brown, and Dean Kuntz. Kuntz. I always get that one wrong. Uh, so we're very much looking forward to Theo's contribution. And uh, well, what exactly are the books going to be about? Well, as you know, they're children's books, so they won't be terribly complicated, probably in a 14 to 18 point font as well. And they're about a little boy with action man hair who plays football and runs ever so fast. Okay, and uh, well, what else? What else does he do? I'm not sure what you mean. Um, what do you mean, what else? Well, I, I just mean you, you've described him. He's a little boy with action man hair who runs very fast and plays football. But, I mean, what, what does he do? What's the book going to be about? This is why I hate doing interviews with non-literary types. The book clearly is going to be about a little boy with action man hair who runs ever so fast and who plays football. But apart from that, what does he do? Oh, he's got action man hair. You get that? He plays football. And he runs ever so fast. I'm really not sure what's difficult to understand about that. I'm going to have to terminate this interview. We'll see you at the bookers next year. Goodbye. Well, you know, um, hmm, you, well, uh, she's gone. And, uh, okay, well, that's it. Uh, Felicity Quimmington from Random House, thank you very much. And Theo Walcott's upcoming novel will be um, in shop soon about a little boy with action man hair who plays football and runs ever so fast and uh that's about it i think uh yep i'm sure prose wise it'll be be pretty all right well let's face it if jerry halliwell can write children's books I mean, it won't be roald dahl or anything i should write a children's book about a special gang called the arse defense who are terrorized by this hideous monster called the drug benator Oh, no, I can't think of a good ending to that one. Well, I can think of many good endings, but they're probably too violent and bloody and involving the word cunt for a children's book. So there you go. Now, uh, Savile Rogue Scarf Time. Who would like to win one? Well, who wouldn't like to win one? Yes, indeed. They're the best scarves of all time, uh, with thanks to my good friends at Savile Rogue. Um, to win this week's scarf, all you have to do 
is tell me against which club did Theo Walcott write his first book? I mean, score his first goal. Against which club did Theo Walcott score his first Arsenal goal? Arsenal goal. Uh, answers to competition at arseblog.com. That's competition at arseblog.com. Now, there's also the winner of last week's or the week before last Savile Rogue Scarf, and this is one of the strange quirks of fate of the random number generator. Or fate, or it's just a bit of a coincidence, I suppose. But the uh, the question I asked you was, what sport did Dara O'Brien play when he was in school? And the answer was hurling, which is a mad game where guys with big sticks whack a tiny little ball around the place and hit each other in the face and stuff. It's mental. Um, so that was hurling. And the random number generator picked out a guy called Alan Hurley. It's true. And the stick in hurling is called a hurley. It's bizarre. It's like all the planets have aligned for Alan. How do you explain something as bizarre and random as that? Probably be a guy called Bob Chelsea who will win next week or something. <clears throat> I didn't say that. Uh, before we go on, I, I should mention as well that if you go to the Savile Rogue website, that's savile-rogue.com, uh, uh, if you use the uh, the code ArsBlog at checkout, you get yourself a 10% discount. It has been extended only for ArsBlog users. So if you're looking for Christmas presents, Savile-Rogue.com, uh, click in there. And if you buy anything, put in the code ArsBlog and you get yourselves a 10% discount. Can't argue with that. All right, looking ahead to the game on Sunday. I, I was supposed to have, as is traditional, the Mug Smasher here. Uh, but he couldn't be here because of various other things. So we did a, an old recording he bit on Skype, and, and quality-wise was was awful, so I can't use it. But he said to say hello, and, you know, he wished us all the very best for Sunday. He complained very much that Chabi Alonso had been left uh, to leave Liverpool. He complained quite a lot about Rafa Benitez, too. So it was a shame it didn't come out. Um, the injury news for Sunday... If I can just get it up here now, is that Abue is out. Uh, Thomas Rosicki, we know, is out. Now, having done his groin, uh, he'll be out for a few weeks. However, we could get Eduardo and Abu Diaby back. Uh, there are some doubts at the moment over William Gallas, Armand Traore, Cesc Fabregas, and Andre Arshavin, uh, but hopefully they'll all come through as well. Between now and Sunday, we'll have them pumped full of cortisone and ready to go. Uh, it is a massive game, a huge big game. The league table... Uh, is such that uh, the perception this season, this is something we discussed, or I discussed with the Mug Smasher earlier, um, which uh, didn't come out, uh, but the perception is that Liverpool's season has been absolutely terrible and Arsenal's, despite some blips, has been reasonably positive. The reality of the situation, of course, is that if Liverpool win, they're only a point behind us. We'll have lost the same amount of games as Liverpool, by whom we shouldn't necessarily be judging our season, but it just gives you that little bit of uh, perspective, doesn't it? We will have a game in hand, of course, but still. So in order to keep pace with what's going on above us and, and take advantage a little bit, perhaps, of the of the uh, Man City win over Chelsea last weekend, we've got to win this game. More than got to win it, we've got to not lose it first. But it's a game we've got to go and win. Liverpool, given the state they're in at the moment, it's probably not the worst time in the world to be playing them. However, I always worry when teams are on a really, really bad run, they've got to kind of come out of it sooner or later. And Liverpool have got Gerrard back and Torres back and Aquilani is probably going to play as well and maybe he can do what Xabi Alonso did. So I don't know, it's going to be a big, big game. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed that all our players who can be fit are fit. That's what I'm hoping. 
And I'm hoping for uh, five goals this time for Marshavin because certainly uh, we're going to concede four. So uh, fingers crossed for Sunday. We'll leave it there today. Uh, and I'll talk to you, of course, all next week on the blog and on next week's Arsecast. So until then, take it easy. Bye-bye. Hello everyone, Tony Adams here with another poem on the Arsecast. This week's poem is entitled, The Handshake, in relation to some events of recent past. And it goes a little bit like this. Oh, Arsene Wenger, many people wondered why you didn't shake hands with Mark Hughes. Is it because you was abused? Oh, Mark Hughes, you gave out when Arsene Wenger wouldn't shake your hand. But the Spanish for hand is Mano. Mano a Mano. And Mano is long for man. And if you're not a man, then he will not shake your hand. Thank you very much. 